0: You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Sox Beat podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online video and audio provider for Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chris Catillo from masslive.com, and this episode is episode 218 of the show. It is brought to you by betonline.ag, which is CLNS Media's preferred online sportsbook, and we are... Welcome today by fellow Red Sox beat writer, Ian Brown from MLB.com. He's been covering the team for, what, 80% of my life, would you say? <laughs> too much of your life. Uh, yeah, since
0: much of life. Since Since 2002, this is year number 18 for me.
1: Wow. So, there's uh, in in that time, obviously, he's covered Dustin Pedroia for his whole career. That's kind of the story of what we're going to talk about today, amongst some other things. But uh, I just kind of wanted to get your reaction, Ian, on... Yesterday we were both there for Dustin Pedroya. It was not a retirement press conference. It, we didn't want to say that, but it felt like a quasi-retirement press conference. It was the first time, you know, for all the injuries, all the setbacks that he's had with that knee in the last year, that he decided to acknowledge that this could be it. He might not be able to ever play again, and it was kind of a really interesting admission and one that I think was uh, it's very tough for him to make yesterday.
0: Yeah, it definitely uh, definitely felt like a retirement press conference to me. And to me, the biggest thing was when when Terry Francona was asked about it, um, Pedroia had gone over to talk to Tito before his press conference. You know, they're they're very close; they always have been. And when Francona was talking about Pedroia, based on their conversation, he was talking about his career in the past tense. So to me, that uh, you know, I think uh, Dustin Pedroia was a lot more candid with with Francona, telling him, "Look, this is this is probably the end for me." Uh, I think that Pedro, you know, I asked him directly, Dustin, do you think you can play again? And he said, I'm not sure. For him to say that, this guy who was so adamant all along that he's going to be able to find a way back, he's going to be able to defy the odds, this has just exhausted him. He's been trying to do this for two years now. And it seems to me like he can play for a week, and then the knee kind of buckles up on him again. So I think he knows that it's just not going to happen. He figures, let's just wait a few weeks, uh, don't do anything, uh, see if a miracle happens. But I, you know, other than like a David Wright love fest weekend that happened with the Mets last year, maybe something like that happens for Pedroia. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that type of thing, you know, I don't see him playing for the Red Sox again.
1: Yeah, I agree. And obviously, you know, it was uh, it kind of happened quickly based on kind of they were still going with that line that he was going to be back, he was going to get through. He you know, just kind of to recap, obviously played 6 games for the Red Sox this year, came back for the home opener, played 6 games, did not play well in those games, made a couple good plays in the field but couldn't hit. Then he re-injured the knee in New York in mid-April, went back on the injured list at that point, went on rehab, uh, had a setback, was pulled off his rehab assignment, went back, was with Portland over the weekend and after 4 innings of a game had to remove himself on Friday night. And just a week after saying, "Oh, I'll get through the rehab, I'll get through the setbacks, he decided yesterday as he was placed on the 60-day injured list to take a break, to, to stop the rehab for a little bit. He's going to be with the Red Sox for the next week through their trip to New York, and then he's going to go home to Arizona for the second straight year. I thought, you know, some people were saying that it was similar to how he took a break last year and decided to go home. But he went home last year to rehab and do rehab, you know, on his own terms and the way he wanted to with the goal of getting back for opening day this year. And this time he's going home to, to relax and rest and be with his family and really not not do any baseball activities, at least for um, the next few weeks. And we'll see. Uh, everything's pretty indefinite. They wouldn't speak in any definite terms yesterday. I think the interesting thing to me is, is that change, right, that we heard yesterday from him, you know, that change in kind of uh, the company line. I think Alex Gore Dombrowski – and Pedroya were all saying all along, we expect this guy to be back. Dombrowski, I, I think, said he thought he could play 120 games, which always seemed like a big yeah. reach. Um, and I think yesterday, to me, it wasn't as much of a, an epiphany that they had versus just a, a decision to shift the public narrative. I don't know what you think on that, but I think yeah. that this was kind of what they, what they knew all along. And finally, it was time to publicly admit it.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And you know, as far you know, you can only bang your head against the wall on this so many times. And I think Pedroia was starting to feel like, you know, like he talked about yesterday. It was kind of sad to hear him say, "Look, he has to rehab every day just to be able to do anything." So he's spending half his day rehabbing his knee just so he can go out there and try to play baseball. And then he gets out there and is not responding. And this is why um, you know David Ortiz retired in 2016 because he was spending so much time getting treatment on his Achilles just to be able to go out there. At least in David's case, uh, he had some. He was going out there and hitting home runs as a DH, obviously a much different thing. He was going out there and hitting home runs once he got out there. For Pedroia, he's doing all this uh, monotonous work in the trainer's room, um, spending more time than anybody knew and for no payoff at all, you know, for, to be able to play minor league baseball, you know, for, for a week and go like three for 20 or whatever, all all signals and just, uh, then to just be back to square. I mean, I saw him in the clubhouse yesterday before the, uh, briefly before the press conference, and he just, just, he was limping then. I mean, I could see it. I saw Mm -hmm. that, also, in uh, the Patriots Day weekend, I remember when he was—you know—they yep. had engaged him for a couple of days, and then they, this was a couple of days before that popping thing in New York. And I remember watching him, wine, and I'm like, "This guy can't even walk through the clubhouse." It was mm-hmm. kind of uh, jarring to watch at the time, and just uh, it's kind of obvious to be that he just wasn't going to be able to, to do it. And he's tried everything he could, and it's, it's just not happening. So, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how much time he takes before finally coming out and saying, "Look, I'm not—I'm not, not going to play." baseball anymore uh being you know obviously he has two years left on his contract so whether they ship that to some sort of public service contract with the red sox where he can be a quasi coach instructor see i thought it was funny yesterday when he said uh, kind of motivational speaker that type of thing it'd be interesting to see you know what, what dustin pedroia does over the life of his contract
1: yeah for sure and i think people think that there's a way the red sox don't have to pay him by either releasing him or or whatever and that it's not happening. They're going to pay the rest of that three years, 40 million, including this year. Um, and if he retires, he doesn't get any of it. And that's not going to happen, uh, obviously. So it could be something similar to Prince Fielder. Who's been on the 60 day injured list DL, whatever with the Rangers after he was you know, medically unable to play a couple years ago, it could be something similar to David, Wright, The Red Sox. I don't, I don't believe they have insurance on Pedroia's deal. So uh, the financial aspect of that, you know, that ship is sailed. I think. And, and, Also, on that point, I think he earned that contract with everything uh, that he did. I think at this point, you know, from a roster standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, and Pedroya even alluded to this yesterday talking to us. He said, it's not fair if I can't play for three days and I'm on the major league roster and have Alex playing with, you know, 24 players when the other team's having 25 out there. From a roster standpoint, the Red Sox, with the emergence of Michael Chavis, I think everybody agrees Michael Chavis wasn't going back down to accommodate Pedroya at that point you're probably cutting either Steve Pierce or Eduardo Nunez, or at least having somebody go on the IL uh, just to force Pedroia back. This kind of gives the Red Sox, lets them relax a little bit and not have to do that, which I think, you know, is a blessing in disguise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and Chris, that's why I think that they, the whole time they were like, uh, when he went off back on this second rehab after the popping thing at Yankee Stadium, they said, look, uh, you got to go down there and play every day because they didn't want to cut ties with the Steve Pierce or an Eduardo Nunez to get, Pedroya back for a week and only to have him have a setback so the only way they were going to let him back is if they saw that uh, his knee could withstand the rigors of playing every day because it's not fair to the rest of the roster I mean you saw last year they cut um you know Hanley Ramirez to, to make room for Pedroya. and that was ironic that uh, you know three days later Pedroya was was hurt again and so they yeah. kind of at the time they, they cut uh Hanley f- for no reason it seemed like so I think they didn't want to get into that again for the second straight year
1: yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of already did. I mean, the, the reason that Blake Swihart's not on the roster is because they expected Pedroia back. Turns out that that spot went to Chavis. But, you know, there's been collateral damage from this whole thing. Hanley, you know, I think he was on his last legs, as we saw with his cameo with Cleveland earlier this year. And there might have been some other things going on there with Hanley. That story, as Rob Bradford would say, that story yet to be told. <laughs> um, but we have, uh, with Blake Swihart, I, people are very attached to Blake Swihart as I, as we all see on Twitter all the time. He's a young guy that they had to cut, not, you know, the reason they couldn't carry three catchers and Swihart was more of a utility guy at sometimes than a catcher is because they expected Pedroia and they wanted to have Holt Nunez and Pedroya uh, all on the roster. So with that, what do you think they do from this point on in the infield? I think, you know, Chavis entrenched as the starting second baseman who can play first and third and then just having Holt and Nunez as as bench options. Do you think Chavis is now the guy going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're pretty well set up uh, for the rest of this year. The way this, the way this roster is set up to play, Chavis as your primary guy, and the, the good thing about this is you have the flexibility to bring, uh, you know, to bring Holt in there, right. you know, late in games and, and and Nunez if you need to, and you know, we'll see how Chavis progresses. There's still some things that that he's learning on defense. So I think you're in good shape. You're probably in better shape. I mean, look, like Shabas for Ian Kinsler. I mean, that's basically right. that's the exactly trick- what it is. You make that trade in a heartbeat with the production that, uh, that Chavis is giving you at the plate. So I think the more interesting thing is, you know, what are they going to do uh, down the road at the second base? Because I think that Chavis probably, you know, he's their first baseman, I think, kind of going forward. You have Chavis at first and you have Devers at third. So kind of, you know, do you go out and get a second baseman, uh, you know, over over the winter but I think that you know in the short term that they're they're in as good a shape as you could be having Holt Nunez and uh, Michael Chavis. and then if uh, Zuway Lin ever comes back, then then you got another option there.
1: And a guy that my colleague uh, Chris Smith uh, from Mass Live, among many other minor leaguers uh, loves is uh, Marco Hernandez, who's actually been tearing it up at Pawtucket. He's another guy that could contribute you know, if one of these guys gets hurt. So they actually have some good depth. Lin Hernandez behind the three guys in the major League roster and at this point. You're looking at a roster that positionally is suddenly set. The Pedroya thing was the only thing that was going to disrupt this current group, uh, barring an injury. You know, you have, if Pierce or Moreland goes down, you have Chavis to can go to first. If you, if Devers goes down, you have Chavis who can go to third. Nunez can play third. Holt can play shortstop. Something happens to Bogarts. I mean, there's a lot of guys with flexibility suddenly on this roster that you wouldn't have gotten if Pedroya was there. He was going to only play second when he was available. And um, I think Roster-wise, as much as Pedroya's meant to these guys for years and years and years, it's it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise and gives Alex Cora a lot of options. I think, and I've only been covering the team for a year. Like you said, you've been covering it for 18. That includes Pedroya's whole career. I think people now, and I tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago, and I talked about this on the show, um, people are looking at Pedroya in a much different light than they did uh, previously. So I just wanted to get your take on what you think uh, – how do you think his legacy has changed and in a way that I think is is unfair by looking at him as damaged goods or a waste of time or a guy who's, you know, just a, a waste for the Red Sox after everything he's done and, and something that you've seen in person for all, all, you know, how many every years he's been playing?
0: Yeah, Chris, I wanna say that there there are two other situations, you know, since I've been on the beat um that are kind of comparable to this. The first guy I ever saw this was where perception changed like this was was No more Garcia Parra, who yeah, this guy was as, growing up. Yeah, I mean this guy was as popular as you could possibly be. I mean, I think he was every kid your age's favorite player. You're probably doing the thing with your batting gloves at the mm-hmm. play and trying to yep. imitate his stance. I mean, this guy was larger than life. And suddenly, um, you know, they they tried to trade him and get Alex Rodriguez, and then he his Achilles gets messed up, and then the fan base just falls in love. I don't remember they fall in love with Pokey Reese kind of early in the 2004 season, <laughs> and then you know uh, you know Nomar's coming back from this Achilles thing, and the fans did not want Nomar. They they started to look at Nomar as this disenchanted guy who was kind of uh, ruining the clubhouse, kind of like a lot of people view uh, Pedroya like that ever since twenty seventeen with with some of the things that happened that that year with Manny Machado and pointing pointing fingers at you know saying it's not me that tried to hit you it's them and mm-hmm. and it also uh, Kevin Euclid was the other guy this guy was w- was so popular with the fans and then he, he broke down and then you have will Middlebrooks kind of flavor of the month and people didn't want you around anymore and uh you know that that situation and you saw Euclis get traded but but now i think now that this whole thing is over with Pajoya, i think that the fans are, are going to sit back and say this guy uh meant a ton to us i mean it happened with nomar when, when he came back with oakland like i think it was five years after he got traded yeah, was a long One of the time loudest- after. Yeah, yeah, one of the loudest ovations I've ever heard a player uh, get. And I'm sure it's going to be the same way with now People are going to forget about uh, the stuff that that's happened, kind of his diminished skills and the, impatient, the impatience that fans were having with, with his injuries. And I think for whatever reason, the I thought it was kind of unfair how the fans really, and you tweeted about this I think a week or so ago, mm-hmm. um, just that the fans had really soured on this guy and forgotten what he meant to this team. I mean, there's no 2007... Uh, world championship without without dustin bajoya i mean rookie of the year this guy in the playoffs was just huge for them against both uh, cleveland and in Colorado, and then you know the next year, you know he he was their best player, you know through that uh, with that beaten up team that that went and got to Game Seven of the ALCS against Tampa Bay. Yeah, uh, Pedroia was by far their best player in that playoff run. And then 2013 didn't have a great postseason, but had a, had a very good regular season. Actually, played with a I think he played with a broken bone in his in his. uh one of his fingers out here for like the whole year and didn't say anything until after the season. So just the, the what this guy did to play hurt, I think, is what uh, people should appreciate. And I thought it was uh, kind of fitting in a way that you know the, the Pedroia news and the the Bill Buckner thing it all came out yesterday because to me those are the two guys who played through the most pain. Of any players since yeah. I've been watching the Red Sox, you know, I'm not old, old enough to have covered Buckner, but mm-hmm. watched him throughout my my childhood. And this guy went what, what he endured and what he played through, very similar to to Pedroia. And I think that uh, that's what fans are going to remember. They're not going to, you know, the silliness that has gone on really since 2017 with the the Matt Barnes thing and the whether Pedroia cheered when David Price berated <laughs> Eckersley I mean, yeah. that kind of silliness. That's that's going to wash away now. People are going to remember the great plays this guy made. Uh, the big hits this guy had
1: that's you know the thing to me is people hating on him for for being hurt and everything if you look at it and think about what he's played through and obviously you know more about that and just talked about it a little bit if you look at what he's played through in his career it's not a guy that is gonna you know this is the name the name that comes to mind for me is jd drew that has a blister a day and it's pulled out of the lineup before a lot of games and, and all that kind of stuff this is a guy who played very hurt at a lot of Times during his career, his style of play obviously um, was one that is is going to get you banged up. Um, and I think now that just kind of proves that after everything that he's played through, this must be very very painful if he can't you know get through it.
0: Yeah, yeah Chris, I don't even see a lot of guys who would ever even tried to play through this thing in the last couple of years. I think yeah. you know, most guys would have just kind of called it a career and this guy was doing, uh, everything he could, you know, cause I think nobody felt where you know, he probably felt bad that he was, he was earning all this money to kind of not do anything. But, uh, you know, like you said, I think that, you know, they're not going to try to get out of this contract because look, they they realized what he did and just what he did tried to do the last couple of years and what he played through during two championship seasons. 0- 07 he had some He had a broken handmade bone in the, uh, Rob Bradford, I remember broke that story for the Herald back uh, mm-hmm. after the 07 World Series that Pedroia had played uh, in that playoff run with a broken handmade bone and just just the many things that he did uh, for this team to get them more they were and leadership wise setting 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 the tone with uh, leadership kind of lead by example type of thing um, I think that uh, you know you you got your money's worth out of this guy
1: yeah, for sure, I mean, I think John Tomasi tweeted this out yesterday a little. Uh, Maybe not sad is the right word, but disappointing footnote on all of this. Pedroya was a 300 hitter entering the season, yeah. went 2 for 20. That's for his career, went 2 for 20, and now hitting 299 for his career. If this is it for Pedroya in 14 major league seasons, hit 299 with 140 homers, 725 RBIs, four all star appearances, obviously the rookie of the year in 2007, the MVP in 2008, uh, four gold gloves, I believe, and, and two other top. 10 MVP finishes and this is a guy that you know this is before my time on the beat but this is I think your 45th or or 46th year back in 2017 um he hit 293 in 105 games and and he hit 318 the year before at age 32 I mean this is a guy who as ugly as the injuries have been in the last couple years produced when he was on the field last two
0: Yeah. And that to me was amazing in 2017. Um, he wasn't right that whole year. Uh, really, uh, you know, after that, we all remember the Machado play. That was April 21st. I just looked this up yesterday. I think it was April 21st, 2017. He was diminished for the rest of that season. Yep. And to be able to hit 293, um, play pretty good defense. I remember he made a great play in Texas off like a ball, took a crazy bounce like off a side door or something in Texas. He was running all over the place, Chris. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't, he wasn't right physically. It was sad by the playoffs that year against Houston. He had nothing left. And, you know, Alex Korg, you know, as the bench coach for that, Astros team, he could see that Pedroia, uh, he was playing on one leg and it was kind of painful to watch. I remember he he made the last out in that series, and he kind of battled you know through the at bat against uh, Giles, I think. But he could just see he had nothing, and he just hit a little. Slow roller to second base to end the series, and it was just sad kind of watching him go out with such diminished tools at that time and that was really the end I think was that uh you know by the end of twenty seventeen the the knee was just completely shot, and he tried to have this this innovative surgery here that nobody had ever had before, no baseball player had ever had him and him and Stephen Wright are the two that have had it, and it just uh you know it was worth a shot, i guess I guess that was his only real he didn't really see any better options, so he gave it a shot and just uh just didn't take you know.
1: Yeah, I think there's some guys that statistically they drop off, you know, a lot in their last few years and um you see that d- slow decline. You see a lot of really bad deals be, you know, happen. Albert Pujols is a good example. There's been some other guys and with Pedroya that hasn't happened. There wasn't that year that full year where he wasn't producing. There was, you know, two years of rehab that maybe dragged on too long, but there wasn't that that drop, that fall uh, from grace at least on the field. So Ian, if you want to if, I don't know if there's uh, a line on if Pedroya will ever play again I don't think <laughs> yeah. we like the odds on that one but there you have a lot of things over there at bet online um, if you want to bet on things like that so it's already springtime in Boston so and you know we have a rainy day today might have a rain out but the weather's been a little bit better new Red Sox have had an uneven year so far but you can still get in on the action and bet on them if you want There's only one place to share in the Red Sox wins by grabbing the odds and allowing the experts at betonline.ag to do the heavy lifting for you. They have sports, they have live betting, virtual casino, anything you want. Betonline.ag, that's A-G like Attorney General, is CLNS Media's preferred sportsbook online. If you're feeling lucky and you want to support our podcast, go to clnsmedia.com backslash Soxbeat, that's S-O-X-B-E-A-T, and use the promo code CLNS50 that's CLNS50 for that 50% sign up bonus CLNS50 on betonline.ag which is your online sports book experts so back to back to the Pedroya talk for a second is there any you know i think he's i my interactions with him have been limited obviously because he wasn't around for a lot of last year he was there in spring training but every everything we talked about him is knee related so i don't have you know a ton of good stories but i wanted you to to share some kind of behind the scenes if you could pedroia memories and moments that that you have
0: yeah you know it's funny chris i wish you could have covered him a little earlier in his career because he used to before all those injuries started setting him and kind of making him a shell of what he was he was hilarious in the clubhouse i mean just the things he he would blurt out i remember i had this you know one of these this green uh, striped sort of rugby shirt I was wearing one day and you know, he he's yelling at me, Where where's Waldo? and you know, mm-hmm. all this all this stuff. It's just uh, you know, one day we were in Toronto, it was like a, a Sunday day game and he he said he said, You know what? He's like, I'm gonna have six Red Bulls get two hits and die. <laughs> <That was> pretty- <laughs> put that out of the middle of the, uh, you know, it was me and a couple of guys who were there. It was just, just funny. He used to just be, he had that swagger, you know, when he, and, and it was sad to kind of see that go because once he started, stopped uh, talking like that, it's just because, you know, you knew that, uh, that he couldn't he couldn't back it up anymore. But uh, just the the running thing with you know Pedroia and, and Tito, and they were always yelling and screaming at each other and making fun of him. You know, one time uh, when John Farrell was the pitching coach, you know, John Farrell much more of a fun loving guy when he was the pitching coach. <laughs> uh, he once he once uh, threw Pedro in a trash barrel, and uh, this mm-hmm. was <laughs> it's like two thousand eight or two thousand nine, some somewhere around there. So they this just had, they used to just have so much fun uh, with this guy, and he just uh, you know he. Just loved to compete, and he knew he knew how good he was, and he he knew that uh, when he was on his game, uh, he couldn't be stopped. And the whole the whole laser show thing was was pretty funny. I was there that night, and that was actually he was defending uh, David Ortiz. This was in 2009 or 10. Ortiz was after one of those terrible starts he had, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Pedroia said, "Oh, remember me!" And in 2007, you guys were all ready to. Send me back to the minor leagues and play Alex Cora and all this, and then next thing you know, what happened? A laser show. So that was that was when the whole it was just like this impromptu thing on the Nesson, uh You know, Ness had carried alive uh, in uh-huh. the postgame. Of those things that kind of took on a life of its own uh, after that. But uh, yeah, it, it was a, a lot of fun to to be around those first uh, you know seven eight years until this uh, last couple of years were kind of just depressing for him. I think.
1: Yeah, and I think Laser Show is a much better nickname than the short-lived Muddy Chicken from whenever that was. Uh, that
0: was uh, that was an intoxicated uh, Josh Beckett <laughs> that came up with that one after a 17 or 18 inning game in the Sunday night game in Tampa in, in 2011. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, that I remember that that nickname made a Sports Illustrated cover, and that was about it. And then it went back to being the Laser Show, and um, I think it's a much much more fitting nickname. I think. You know, we talk about Pedroia's future because it's probably not going to be on the playing field as we finally, as he finally acknowledged publicly yesterday. It's going to be probably with the Red Sox in some capacity, whether that's a special assistant, uh, a coach. I, I don't know if he would, you know, join the full time coaching staff, but if he does, I think there would be a spot for him on, you know, in a couple years. And I have this theory that I don't think I've discussed on the show that Alex Cora, after two or three years, is going to assemble his all star coaching staff of all the guys that he talks about all the time. I think Pedroia <laughs> will have a spot on that alongside bench coach Joey Cora, hitting coach Alex Cintron, Carlos Beltran will be in the mix. I'm fully convinced that these guys that he brings up all the time will be in there. And if Pedroya wants a spot, uh, I think one is his, right?
0: I totally agree with you, Chris. And to me, it's, it's interesting what Pedroya ever – Manage, you know, and I think I don't think this is something he would do for a while. And you haven't seen that many great players become managers, but he's such a baseball junkie. And you know, you look at, you know, two of his best friends in the game really are Terry Francona and Alex Cora. So yep. you wonder, you know, he kind of speaks this, that language, and he just like loves being around. And he just he knows the game so well. Um, so so I wonder if he ever would become a manager. I think he's going to watch his kids grow up. Uh, Chris, so I don't think that he's going to, I think he's going to use this, this downtime to really just like, you know, have fun with his kids, watch his kids play, play little league, see, see them go through all the things he went through. But I think once, you know, they get older, he's still, yeah, he's 35 years old. So I'm talking, you know, ten people
1: people look at him like he's, he's 50 or 55 at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so ten, fifteen years from now, um would not surprise me at all if he sinks his teeth into this thing and becomes a you know, becomes a an infield coach or or even a manager. But I think the next two years you're probably gonna see him more kind of in a uh, part time I'd say somewhere between Pedro and Veritec. Well, I think you'll you'll see him more than Pedro and probably a little less than uh than Veritek.
1: Yeah. That's I mean that sounds sounds about right. One thing that I think I've learned in my year on the beat um is, is the difference in the roles for some special assistants and how much they're actually there. I thought it was kind of a cushy job that nobody actually showed up, but you know, we barely see Ortiz. He pops in once I in a want, while. And,
0: I want I want David Ortiz's job, Chris.
1: Yeah, that's, that'd be great. You could do, do commercials for 360 days of the year and show up in the spring training clubhouse for the other five and then pop on Fox every, every so often and make a lot of money probably doing it. But there's guys, I mean, you mentioned Veritech just kind of a. Talk about that—he's there all the time. He's in uniform. He's in the clubhouse. He's on our flights sometimes as we fist pumping yeah. Ian. Ian Brown walking down the aisle on our flight to Seattle uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago—big moment in Ian Brown's uh, career. Big, big moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have, you know, Pedro is sometimes on the road even. So they're these guys are are active. You know, other guys are not. But I think Pedro is the kind of guy that would would fully commit to you know being part of it. I think. And a big part of that, like we talked about, is his relationship with Alex Cora. I think it's uh, yesterday was was telling and Cora, you know, I thought there was a couple of points yesterday where Cora and, and Pedroia were both close to getting emotional. And I think yeah. one of the la- last things we'll talk about is how Cora has towed this line with Pedroya, trying to put the best roster out there, but still trying to respect a guy that not just what he's meant to the organization, but what he's meant to Cora. Cora was a mentor to him at the early parts of Pedroya's career. The families are very close. We all know that. Um, I'm sure it's been difficult for Alex, as much as he won't acknowledge it, to toe that line between trying to be as supportive as possible with Pedroia and also realizing the the how serious the situation was, and that you know you're probably not going to get an All Star Pedroia back at any any point.
0: Yeah, you know, I got a great uh, early '90 Celtics analogy for you here, but uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, late in, Kevin McHale's last couple of years, he was playing for for Chris Ford, who was his former. Uh, teammate and very very good friend and Kevin's skills were diminishing he was kind of injured a lot like Jordan and there was some friction there between mikhail and Ford because uh, Ford wasn't playing mikhail as much you know Mcail didn't realize how much his skill skills were kind of going down and it did get it uncomfortable between the two of them. But yeah, the way Cora has handled this has really impressed me. And just Alex Cora's ability really to handle every situation and just be himself. The most stressed out I've ever seen Alex Cora was the whole white house thing. That's the Mm -hmm. only time I've seen him where it was just like, this was really, really getting to him. Uh, But other than that, this guy handles everything thrown at his way simply by being himself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, comfortable in his own skin and you've seen that so many times the last couple of years and yeah this Pedroia situation that could not have been easy but you know I don't see any signs that their relationship has suffered at all yesterday you could see the words from Alex Cora were really kind of genuine yesterday look I, I love this guy I love his family and uh, you know that, that was pretty cool um, so I think that Alex deserves a lot of credit again just for the way that he handled like you said a very delicate situation here with Dustin.
1: And Dombrowski deserves some credit as well for as much as that comment about playing 120 games was either a, a bold-faced lie or just him drinking the Pedroia Kool-Aid at that point. I think he – and he said yesterday he used a phrase that I would never use in my life by calling himself a Johnny-come-lately to the Red Sox organization <laughs> compared to those guys. A very uh, David Dombrowski-type thing to say, which is funny. Um, but I he called himself that. But for him to kind of recognize what Pedroia's meant to the Red Sox, still give him a chance, even if it, you know, kind of hamstrings his roster uh, in a way, you know, I think uh, it, it's been cool to see the organization, the decision makers, respect Pedroia enough to give him a chance—the chance, multiple chances, actually, a, a lot of chances. Those didn't work out, and now we have a guy who is uh, most likely retired. So I think uh, that's that's a lot of Pedroia talk. I'm glad that we were able to devote the whole episode to a guy who deserves a lot and he's been a lot to the organization. And I think, like I said, fans, if you're listening, be nicer to him. Maybe you will be now that the long and winding rehab road is, is probably officially over. So, uh, that's episode two eighteen of the podcast. Thank you, Ian Brown. And we will uh, see you at Fenway soon.
0: Right. Thanks for having me on Chris.